They got me stranded on death row, buried in a cell like I'm in a dream. My very own hell where the sinners grieve. Every other night I hear a killer scream. Living in the shadow of the guillotine. Most probably never understand it. I want bad D, get you labeled a satanic. Mind in check, but every chest move frantic. I only got one move left, this is my death row. This is my death row. This is my death row. Peace, everybody. Welcome to Death Row Gambit. I'm your host, Rodney Taylor, and today I'm here with Priscilla James Thomas. How you doing, Priscilla? I'm doing really well, Rodney. Thank you for inviting me. Just All right. Okay, before we begin, let me say to the listeners, if you have any questions or comments for Death Row Gambit, you can send them to humanology 72 at gmail.com. That's humanology72. Humanology, H-U-M as in Michael, A-N as in Nancy, O-L-O-G as in God, Y. Humanology72 at gmail.com. Send your questions or comments there, and they'll be addressed in future episodes. Okay, now, today's episode is titled, A Death Notice, which is just what it sounds like. But let me explain it. But better yet, let's let Priscilla explain it. Since of the two of us, she's the only one who's actually had a death notice. Would you mind doing that for us? Sure, I can do that. Um... Jeff, you know, this is uh, your formal execution day delivered to you or served to you by the warden and his entourage. You're generally called down to an office separate away from the uh, population here on death row. And that's when they officially inform you that you have a due execution day. Um, it can go differently. Mines went really south fast, but uh, it's, I'm sure it doesn't always go that way, but nobody's happy to get it. When you say it went south fast, what do you mean? Um, the warden walked in. I didn't know why I was down there and threw my execution notice into my lab as he circled the desk. That's very unprofessional. I think those are my words, or at least my thoughts. Okay. As he threw the papers into my lab, he let me know what it was. There's your execution notice. Just like that. I was stunned. Okay. I was so stunned. How mad you were. I was slightly aware that my appeals were up okay. six months ago. When I say slightly aware, I mean we still had some irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they all got burned. And had they all got burned, you're normally informed by your lawyer. Mm-hmm. The lawyer normally gets the papers first, and they let you know that yours is coming. That's a little preparation. I didn't get any of that. Okay. And, and why 
weren't you informed by your attorneys? Did they drop the ball or something? Uh, we still don't know to this day whether it's intentional or not. Okay. So my attorneys were served on a Friday at 6 o'clock on a holiday weekend. Okay. So they never saw the girls until Tuesday when they got in the office. Okay. And I was I was served Monday. Okay. So yeah, that is kind of like un, unusual circumstances. Also, I was served with 28 days left to execution day. You normally are given no less than 30, no more than 45. And they usually try to hit that 45 now. Okay. Okay, so you, you're given, you're given your death notice, and so you have 28 days, pretty much you have, basically you have 28 days to live is what they're telling you. So, how did you feel about that? What, what, what were your thoughts and feelings at that point? Let me tell you, um, you threw the papers in my lap. I'm stunned. Okay. I'm mad immediately. I'm angry. I'm going to lash out at this team. But I want to lash out and say, is that the best way you can tell me? Mm-hmm. Is that what you call a professional act? These are the things that are going on in my head. Yeah. But I don't do any of that. I pause for a minute, and I look at this man as he sits across the desk from me. Okay. My anger, I'm irate inside. But uh, my practice tells me to take a moment. Always take a breath before you speak. Never speak out of anger, although I certainly would have been justified to some degree. Mm-hmm. But in that moment of taking a breath, I looked across the desk, and I saw someone that was scared. I saw sweat on this man's brow. I could see moisture on his lip. And in that moment, I realized this dude is scared. And then knowing that he was scared, I identified my own anger as not anger, but fear also. Okay. And yeah, and I, I, I can, I can, I can see he's scared, uh, and rightly so because you're telling someone that, hey, we're gonna kill you, and you have, no, he has no idea how you're gonna respond to that information. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's not an easy job. No, it's not. Um, so you, you kind of. Empathized with his position. I, I did more than empathize. I identified the problem as everything I did in my life brought me and him to this moment. He didn't want to be there no more than I did. But it was my actions 36 years ago. That put us in that spot 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that went through my mind. And in that moment, I was able to become calm and, st- and step up, basically, and face my reality. And my reality was I had been sent here to die, and now that time had come. And I could face it with some dignity, or I could kick and scream and, and, and find others to be angry at and to blame. And I couldn't do that part, so I had to do the other. Yeah. That's a pretty strong way to uh, handle being told you have, not only do you have just 28 days to live, but 
that in 28 days we're going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. a bitch, ain't it? It is. It is. And all those things I was just telling you was truths. Yeah. My realization. His notice. His informing me. Mm-hmm. My realizations. That's, that was all truth spoken in, in, in my head, but spoken to my heart. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, when you hear the truth and you try to live in the truth and you just rise up. Yeah. Or you die. I could have died right here in that room. Yeah. But I lived. I lived for 28 days. Yes. So what was those 28 days like? You know, walk me through it. I mean, obviously that, you know, We'll get to what happened at the end of those 20 day, 28 days, but, you know, in the immediate days following that uh, delivery of your death notice, what happened? Um, Rodney, I'm trying to think I knew you well then. I, I knew of you. Yeah. You had spoken. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing about you receiving your death notice. Um, I was in the hole at the time. Yeah. Because I, I don't remember seeing you, and I kind of remember clearly everybody yeah. I saw. Yeah. Um, what was that like? I left the office after a short discussion. I left the office, and I stepped into the next 28 days of um, experiencing what uh, a Buddhist practice calls being in the moment, mm-hmm. being present. And I was present for every step I took. Every meal I had, every conversation I had, uh, every every look, exchange look I had, everything was that intense and that real that I understood the meaning. I felt like I understood the meaning behind every moment, and I literally enjoyed every moment. I didn't think about death. I thought about life. (laughs) That's interesting. It's an amazing experience. Um, I wouldn't want to send anybody to that. The initial shock could put you in your grave. But, like I said, it's about choices. When you hit the truth, you got to deal. One way or the other, you got to deal. I was fortunate enough to be able to deal. And I think a lot of that had to do with the work I had done prior to that day. Um, I'm a practicing Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And in that practice, we're taught, we're taught to be present, to be in the moment. Um, not about don't live in our past. Don't be concerned, so concerned with our future. We're just to be present in the moment. That's where life. That's where life is happening. That's where it exists. So there was no melancholy, no depression. No, not for me. Not in that moment. Depression did come. You might find the depression that came really funny. I'll tell you about that. But I had basically 28 days, 24, 24 to 25 days of the most intense experience I had had through all the prior 20 years that I had been here at that time. (laughs) That was 2007, 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. 15, 16 years ago. Um, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it was truly an awakening. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, big picture. What if we all had? What if we all got information about the day we were going to die? How would we live? How did you live? How, how did I live? Yeah. Step by step, meal by meal, word by word. In the moment. In the moment. Just being very present. When I brushed my teeth, those 28 days, I brushed each one. You understand what I'm saying? I get it. I mean, because I, because I know you, and I know that now I know you, and I get it. Uh, when I had a conversation, you know, one of the things, I've experienced 41 addictions before my day. Mm-hmm. And one of the rituals, of course, is disseminating the dissemination of your property. Mm-hmm. And you want to be very direct and select about who you give things to and why you want that person to have that. Right. And... That was a joy. It was an opportunity to tell some people some things I might not have told them anytime soon mm-hmm. about how I feel about them, how I see them, about their potential, and maybe about a flaw or two, something they can improve on. But it was my opportunity to hopefully part some wisdom. Anything in particular you gave someone? And any wisdom that you imparted? Yes, there's one one individual. We won't call names. Okay. Um, one individual I gave a dictionary. Okay. I love him. Uh, he thought he was a wordsmith. All right. And he tried really hard. He just refused to use a dictionary that he could get his words in the right place because... You have 60 seconds remaining. Okay. Um, so I gave him that dictionary, and I explained to him why he gave him that dictionary. Mm-hmm. Had it not been, I probably would have never said that to him. I'd let him go on. And what was his response? None. He was stunned. He was just grateful for the dictionary. He was looking at me in a whole other way. You have 30 seconds remaining. See, in his future. Yeah. So with that, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay. We're back. So, now, we all know that with us being on death row, we're not the only ones going through this situation. Our family is involved as well because they love us and they care about us and uh, they're going through this experience with us as well. And I know your family has been supporting you and they visit you and they communicate with you as well. So I want to ask, how did you receiving your death notice affect your family? Um, well, thank you for the question. Um, I want to tell you, I'm glad to speak 
on this subject with you. It's not something I can't. This is not an everyday conversation. No doubt, yeah. I've this maybe a handful of times in the last 16 years. Mm-hmm. And those were people, four people and two people who had a very specific goal in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking about it now is, again, difficult, um, as it will always be difficult. It was a difficult time. Yeah. My folks, that was very difficult because we had only been getting close within the last within a few years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we were kind of distant. So when this came, it was, it was you know, my mother is elderly. Uh, right now, I enjoy the ability to call my mother, uh, my 95-year-old mother, daily. That was 20 years ago, 16 years ago now, so she was 80 then. And it was very hard. It was very hard that she should see her youngest have to face. I'm her youngest of seven. I'm the youngest of seven. Mm-hmm. To have to face such a thing, it's very hard to have to sit across and look from her and know that, for me, it was just one more hurt. I put in her heart. Yeah. And that was difficult for me. And uh, it was very, very painful for her. Um, It was hard for my brothers. Um, I have two sons. One uh, responded. The one I was most distant from responded right away, stepped up and said, I'm his way here from Oklahoma. And my namesake, he couldn't make it at all. He couldn't face it. It was very, very high, highly strong emotional uh, time. I would, uh, wouldn't put my words in the front Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So you had you had been on death row at that time for how long? That would have been easy. I would, that was twenty years almost today. Okay. And so now you've been on death row a total of 36 years. Well, I've been death row 35 years, incarcerated 36. So a total of 35 years, 36 years incarcerated. And fortunately, you were not executed. Thank you. Uh, we're in the state of a de facto moratorium. Yeah. But still, you went through the experience of being given an execution date. And it has had a profound effect on you, I'm sure. How has that experience impacted you? Um, If we go back to that, being in the moment, realizing, you know, Life could be taken at any moment. The next moment isn't guaranteed. All we have is the present. Mm-hmm. That made me step up to the plate and face some issues. Once I was given a stay, okay. when that stay came, at first I didn't believe it. So I didn't change anything. I didn't move forward. I kind of stayed in that headspace and said, I'm going to die in a minute. 
I'm going to die any day. And then a year passed, six months passed, a year passed, 18 months, two years. They started to feel for real. Okay. But, you know, we used to have them snatched out from under so even two years wasn't enough to convince me it wasn't going to happen. But about the three-year mark, I became accepting of the things my lawyers were telling me. Right. Which was, you know, we've got some breaks. We've got some real breaks on this. Some real breaks on this thing. And it's going to take them a while to dig out of this hole. Okay. And with that, accepting that knowledge, I got on with, let's say, the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my life included some really big things, some issues I hadn't addressed in my life. And uh, so dying was free. Repeat that. Dying was free, and it freed me up to live. Okay. Because truthfully, in that moment, when the wood threw that in my lap, I died. Okay. James Thomas died. James Thomas died. And Priscilla James, James, was born, was given the space and the place to live. Explain that. Okay. Um, I'm transgender woman. Okay. I've always been that. I haven't always lived that. I've always been that. I can remember, I would say from day six, year six, but nonetheless, haven't always lived that. So, with that knowledge of uh, that this is my day, this is the only day I might have, I decided to go ahead forward with naming myself. And when I say naming myself, I mean letting it be known that this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is how I feel, and pursuing the psychological help to help me work out that issue. So in receiving the death state and then receiving a state of execution, yes, you came to the conclusion that being given that second chance, now is the time to live your life to the fullest. It's time, your truly are. it's time to be authentic. Now that in itself is an episode that we have to yeah. devote solely yeah. to that history. Yeah. But that's a powerful, uh, powerful uh, response to being given a second chance is to shed, to, to, to knock down that wall and be the person you were born to be. So. It didn't come easy. It took, it took, it took some work now. It took some work. It didn't happen in a minute. Yes. Right. But, uh, absolutely. And so now it's been 15 years since you got your stay. 16, yeah. 15, 16 years. And how's the status of your appeals now? Um, we're not clear on that. So in the 16 years, people's P 
appeals appeals have run and run out. Mm-hmm. So there is. I'm under, I'm under the impression that there's 60 up to close to 60 or 70 people who should uh, executions be opened again to get a date within you know whatever t- amount of time they need to parse that out with with the you know, 60 70 people at the door. I'm one of them, but I still have some issues that are on judges' tables. Yeah. So I don't know where I'll fall. I don't know that I'll be the first one up, even though I was the last one down. Yeah. Well, hopefully that won't happen. We're hoping that the issues that are on the table will help us all out and hopefully will remove the death penalty from an option for punishment that the state employs with prisoners in general, period. Yeah. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode to a close. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I uh, appreciate you taking the time out to dealing with such a tough issue. And, of course, you're going to be in the seat again in the future. We're going to talk about LGBTQ issues um, next season. This is the last episode for this season. Next season, we will discuss LGBTQ issues. We will specifically be talking about transgender issues, being transgender in prison or in death row in particular. With this episode, we conclude. We thank you all for listening. Again, to our listeners, if you have any questions or comments for Death Row Gambit, you can send them to humanology72 at gmail.com. That's humanology, H-U-M as in Michael, A-N as in Nancy, O-L-O-G as in God, Y. Humanology72 at gmail.com. I'm your host, Rodney Taylor. And our guest today was Priscilla James Thomas. And today's episode was titled, A Death Notice. Thank you. And this is Death Row Gambit. Thank you for having me, Rodney. You're welcome. Hey, what's up? This is Dr. Craig Wally. I just wanted to say... Thank you for rocking with me here on the Prison of Promise podcast. If you know someone who would like to share their story here on the Prison of Promise podcast, and that someone might be you, please hit me up at D-R-C-R-A-I-G-W-A-L-E-E-D at gmail.com. That's Dr. Craig Waleed at gmail.com.